0: Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Tuesday, March 26, 2019. Welcome back to the IOM College Basketball Podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And if you're wondering why we're talking to you on a Tuesday night instead of a Wednesday morning or like right in the middle of Tuesday night, like in the middle of the night, it's because we're both flying on Wednesday. Norlander is off to Louisville first thing in the morning. I'm off to New York in the afternoon. So our options were either record. Tuesday night, Tuesday evening, or wait till Wednesday evening, and I didn't want to wait till Wednesday evening, so here we are. And what we're going to do on this podcast is run through the Thursday and Friday games, basically give our Elite Eight predictions. But first, um, it's been a busy few days on the coaching carousel. Tim Miles out at Nebraska, no surprise, most people I think including Tim expected that to go down the way that it went down. Mike Anderson is out at Arkansas. Dave Rhodes is retiring at BYU. Steve Prohm got an extension at Iowa State. Any of this surprise you, Norlander? Um, the – no, not
1: not 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 surprising. Uh, two weeks ago, Anderson would have surprised me. Uh, I felt like the noise on that increased, uh, particularly over the weekend, and then it dropped late on Tuesday. The, the Tim Miles stuff was a long time coming. Uh, I thought he was gone either way, no, with a good season or not, um, back in the preseason. So uh, he makes his exodus there. Uh, Prome. that was just one of those deals where that... So Bama opened when I was in Hartford. I remember sitting on Press Row, and then, I don't know, I saw like seven people say Steve Prome went to Alabama, he would be a top target, and that was probably true um, but Iowa State got out ahead of it, and he signs an extension there, which locks him in while Alabama continues uh, its search for its next coach. Uh, and then Dave Rose retiring. I did watch about 10 minutes of his press conference. Very emotional. Um, I, I, frankly, a hell of a watch, Parrish. Uh, you know, Rose has been there 14 years, taken him to eight tournaments, went to eight tournaments in a nine-year stretch at one point. Obviously, it peaked in the 2010-2011 season with Jimmer Fredette. Um, the thing that's amazing to me about Dave Rose, some listeners are probably aware of this, some might not be. Dave Rose beat pancreatic cancer, which, is, uh, which does not have a high success rate. And the fact that he did that and he is uh, still healthy, was able to coach long after that has really been one of the more amazing stories in coaching, uh, if, if not under-told stories in coaching in the past 10 to 15 to 20 years. So uh, he steps down. It had been four straight years with BYU not making the not making the tournament. Um, so we'll wait to see who, who lands that job. U- uh, Utah Valley coach Mark Pope, who was an assistant under Rose, um, has been considered the front runner for that for a while. So keep an eye on that. But Parrish, I'll just, I'll lob this back to you and... Uh, and I just ask you, one, you know, Fred Hoiberg's name has been bounced around in Nebraska. That seems like a mere uh, matter of formality at this point. Um, so your thoughts on that and your thoughts on Arkansas in general, uh, because the AD now at Arkansas was the AD that hired Kelvin Sampson to Houston. My opinion is this. I'm not sold that that Kelvin Sampson is leaving Houston for Arkansas. It can happen. But I don't think that that is as much of a sure thing as if you're a type of person that follows the coaching carousel, like as the stuff at breaking, you're kind of a college hoops junkie. I think it's definitely on the table, but I'm at this stage, I'm not totally convinced uh, that Samson's leaving H-Town for, for Arkansas.
0: The only thing that Arkansas can do to convince him is just make incredible Amounts of money, and put you know, you know, just put incredible amounts of money on the table. These SEC schools have so much money now. If they want to pay a basketball coach five million dollars a year, they can. You know, remember a few years ago, Alabama like put an open check on the table for Greg Marshall and were willing to pay him whatever they needed to pay him. He just ultimately didn't want to go coach there, but it, it wasn't a money deal. And so, Arkansas can put real difference making money in front of kelvin and maybe get him to jump but what he has to figure out and this is reasonable minds can disagree on this but what he has to figure out is do you want to go be at a middle of the pack job in a power five league or do you want to have one of the better jobs in a top seven league you know you you you, he's already shown, and by the way, I think he'd win at Arkansas. The guy's won everywhere. He's been his career is really amazing. He was obviously, um, you know, he it, first it starts at Montana Tech, and he wins back to back league titles there. Then goes to Washington State, ultimately gets them to an NCAA tournament. Bounces to Oklahoma, goes to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine straight NCAA tournaments including a final four. Then he eventually bounces to Indiana and, you know, he had Indiana at 22 and four overall, 11 and two in the big 10 when he got fired, um, for the, um, you know, NCAA violation stuff. But if he were allowed to keep that job, he would have been rocking and rolling at that job for a while. Again. I mean, he, he had Eric, he quickly came in, recruited, got Eric Gordon, um, and then he's got him off to an amazing start. They were ranked 15th in the country at the time when he got fired. Then Dan Dockich took it over and went three and four in the final seven games as the interim coach. Just drove it straight into the ground. But Kelvin Sampson handed him a great team. And there's no reason to think that that team, that program, wouldn't have continued to operate at a high level had he stayed there. And then he takes the Houston job. First year's tough transition year. But in year two, goes, wins 22 games, goes to the NIT. Year three, wins 21 games, goes to NIT. Last year, 27 wins, advances in the NCAA tournament. And now he's sitting here at 33 wins in the Sweet 16. Um, he, he would win anywhere, best I can tell. Um, so he's got to figure out, you know, do, do I want to just keep what I've got going at Houston? Or do you want to try to go rebuild something? in a league that is now stacked with quality basketball coaches, in a league that is now stacked with quality recruiters? And I I don't know that there's a clear answer to that question.
1: I agree uh, with all of, or most of, if not all of that. Uh, keep an eye on what Calvin Sampson says uh, in the next couple of days. Here, will will local media get to him and, and question him in on this, or will he be asked about it at media availability on Thursday uh, in Kansas City because Houston plays Friday night? It's actually the last tip of the Sweet Sixteen. Um, this just adds another element uh, to all of that. With Miles being gone. Um,
0: on Arkansas for just a minute. Because, okay. um, Mike Anderson, obviously, the reason this job's open, he gets fired after eight years. He had been in two of the, the past three NCAA tournaments and three of the past five and advanced in two of them. On a surface level, that's pretty good. But he's never been to a Sweet 16. Um, he's never finished better than third in the SEC. No, he finished second one year. Mm-hmm. Um, but never won an SEC title. Only finished in the top three twice in eight years and they had no recruiting class on the way this year was not good and next year was going to be more not good at least on paper and at a time when so many sec programs are breaking through um whether it's in recruiting rankings or just in on the court results I actually do think it was probably time to pull the trigger on this um obviously because of where I live I've got lots of friends who are Arkansas graduates Arkansas fans and to a man They were ready to move on. Like, nobody – you know, Mike Anderson deserves credit. He never bottomed out at Arkansas. Right. Sometimes coaches bottom out. But he also never, like, really took it to where – honestly, I thought he would take it. Because this is still a program. And I, I forget about this. And then every once in a while somebody brings it up. And it's like, oh, man, that is true. And that is incredible to think about. They haven't been to a Sweet 16 since 1996. Nuts. It, I mean, it's insane because Nolan Richardson had a seven-year stretch in the early 90s, I guess I guess, late 80s, early 90s, where it was a seven-year stretch, went to six Sweet 16s, three Final Fours, and won a national championship. And that, that program has not been to a Sweet 16 since 1996. Like, think about this. Think about you're an Arkansas basketball fan. And you've, you've just enjoyed a seven-year stretch where you've gone to three Final Fours and won a national title. And then Nolan Richardson takes you to the 1996 Sweet 16. That's a year after you played for the national championship, a year, two years after you won the national championship. And I stop you right now. And I say, hey, listen, here's the deal. I know you just played for a, I know you just got – you went to the sweet 16 last year you played the national title game two years ago you won the national championship in the past seven seasons you've made six sweet 16s you won't make another one again at least until 2020 you go what yeah it's impossible to imagine (laughs) but it is actually the truth
1: it is wild you were to call him on that a few years back uh you say he didn't bottom out he didn't and he never peaked um I I think the change is fine. We by the way, if if you're trying to keep track at home, uh, Vandy uh, got rid of Bryce Drew, which was shocking to me. Um, Kennedy out at A and M. Now you have Bama that's open. You have Arkansas that's open, and LSU almost certainly is going to open. So uh, five SEC jobs. It will be a it will be a spring and summer of change over there. Specifically with Arkansas though. Um, you talk to coaches in the sport, people that just, you know, are in college basketball around it. Uh, the opinion is that that program really should be operating as a as a top 30 program on an annual basis. There is no pro team uh, of any sort in that state Um Arkansas uh, obviously loves its football as well, but you can you can make a case that when the basketball is rolling, that is a just it is a basketball for a school, and that's that is a huge arena it plays in. By the way, it's one of the bigger ones in college basketball. So landing the right hire uh, pretty important given the coaching talent in the league and how the SEC has made strong strides in the past three or four years um wait to see on what kind of candidate pool develops honestly like I don't know will Arkansas try and kick the tires on Greg Marshall uh would Arkansas consider say someone like Mike Young who has been good at Wofford yeah I'm gonna get a Wofford mention in here you're damn right I will um but in all seriousness like will Mike Young get an opportunity or two or just at least an interview if uh the Kelvin Sampson stuff doesn't work out just keep an eye on that um I I, I sometimes think that we will say, you know, this sport's better when this team's good. Sometimes I think that's true, and sometimes I'm like, well, oh, whatever. Um, but because I grew up in college basketball in the 90s, like, I still do have, like, I, I vividly remember watching those Arkansas teams in the early 90s. And that was no small part of why I, I fell in love with the game, watching the Kentuckys and Carolinas, Arkansas, Duke, uh, Toby, Bo- Toby Bailey with UCLA. So all those teams, in the, really up to uh, say '96 Kentucky, '97 Arizona, uh, played a big part in me falling in love with the sport. So uh, for, for personal reasons, I would just love to see Arkansas finally be good again. But it seems like you know, minimum two years, probably more like three before that
0: happens. Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, Steve Prohm, you know, was at least reportedly a candidate at Alabama, and agreed to this extension with Iowa State, which essentially removes him from that conversation. Um, It doesn't have to, but for all intents and purposes, it probably does. Um, And there's either two reasons, one of two reasons why he got that done so quickly. Either A, he just wanted to end the speculation, hey, I want to be in Ames, Iowa. And he has said that publicly, and and I will take him at his word. I have no reason to believe, um, I have no reason not to believe him. Um, but it also could be he just found out pretty quickly he's not going to be the guy at Alabama, right? I mean, and then you you use the perceived leverage to go ahead and get a new deal done before that leverage goes away. Either way, this is my point. If And I never try to tell coaches what they should do because they have their own reasons for doing what they do. And it's just because I might say, man, I think I would leave for this job if I was this guy – um, I'm projecting. I, I can't possibly know what matters to this guy. Uh, I mean, I guess I could possibly know. I could ask him, right, and talk to him about it. But sometimes what's important to me isn't important to other people and vice versa, so I never go, man, this coach is crazy if he doesn't do this. But um, it's a weird relationship between Steve and the Iowa State fans, at least from what I can tell from a distance, because he's been good there. Three NCAA tournaments um, – He's advanced in two of them. He's won two Big 12 tournament titles. By any sort of normal standard, he has been a good replacement for Fred Hoiberg. And yet every once in a while, even in this season, which was a mostly good season, where he dealt with suspensions and injuries and still took him to the NCAA tournament um, and won a conference tournament title, I would see, like, fire Steve Prohm stuff all the time on just, like, popping up on Twitter and if your fan base doesn't properly appreciate you when things are going relatively well, it can get really ugly for you if they start to not go well. And given that every program in the Big 12, I was thinking about this today. Tell me if you think this is true. Every program in the Big 12 is a quality basketball program. Um like, like yeah. it, there's no reason you can't win in any of them. Whereas like, you know, the Big 10 there's Rutgers. That's a tough deal. There's Penn State. That's a tough deal. I mean, I, I mean, there's no I don't know. Beard is making it look easier than it is at Texas Tech. Of course, and I think Jamie Dixon's making it look easier than it is at TCU. But like in the past few years, somebody has won at every of the, at all of those programs. Yes. And that that's pretty interesting. My point is this. Somebody's got to finish 10th. Somebody's got to finish 8th. It ain't like you're just automatically going to be better than certain schools um, because all these schools are good enough to, to compete for NCAA tournament appearances in certain years with certain rosters. You can, you can go toward the bottom of that league pretty quickly, even if you are doing a good job. Bob Huggins finished down there this season. I, I, for all of these reasons, I think that if I were Steve Prohm and I could have gotten Alabama – I might have seriously looked at trying to get there, um, but I'm not sure. Either he didn't want to, or, or perhaps it just wasn't in the cards for him, but I, I, I was surprised when the extension was announced earlier on Tuesday.
1: All right, so let me tie this together for you. Um, that uh, removes any sort of, like, prom leaving, Fred Hoiberg returning back, and now it's, you know— uh, Lars Anderson, who was a former uh, staff writer at Sports Illustrated, did a great job covering football in his time there. He tweeted out a week ago, uh, I mean, he went on the record that Fred Hoiberg, it's firm and final. He's going to be the next coach at Nebraska. So we just wait for that to, to finalize in the coming day, maybe parentheses with an S there, days. Um, uh, so I, I would say people who cover the sport are under the impression that this is going to be Fred Hoiberg taking over at Nebraska. Here's my two things on Nebraska. One, it was ridiculous that this played out like this for Tim Miles. Tim Miles, while it wouldn't have been, you know, a great scenario, really would not have had an issue if you fired him after the Big Ten tournament. Like, kind of extending him through this NIT thing when everyone knew what was going down was completely unnecessary by Bill Moose, who's rightfully, uh, you know, had some mud flung at him proverbially with what's happened here, to the point where, you know, Tim Miles is just trying to leave the Nebraska facilities on Monday. And, you know, local... local uh, newscasters are, are also trying to do their job but it's just like a situation no one needs to be in like Tim Miles shouldn't have to be uh, tracked by people going to his car as he's trying to leave it was an embarrassing thing on behalf of Bill Moose and the Nebraska administration he finally cuts ties on Tuesday Miles will land on his feet um, we'll wait and see where and we'll see if there's a job that he wants this year or if he waits a here I think he's gonna wait but we'll see we'll see what crops up and props up here Actually, as we're recording this podcast uh, like 30 seconds ago, I just saw that Rothstein tweeted uh, Kyle Smith, who was at Columbia, then got the San Francisco job, did a good job with them this season. Uh, He is like essentially uh, locked in to be the Washington State head coach. Um, so good on him if that winds up being the case. I know Washington State fans were hoping to land Tim Miles. I didn't think that was ever realistic. Anyway, point is, Miles will get another head coaching job. Um, I would guess that within, you know, honestly, 390 days from now that he's coaching somewhere. Maybe it will be within two weeks from now. Uh, but that puts Hoyberg to Iowa State. So Parrish, your thoughts on Nebraska and Hoyberg if indeed and if and when he winds up taking the Cornhuskers job.
0: I agree with you about the way it was handled with Tim. Like, having him talking to television reporters in a parking lot yesterday, you know, a day after his season had ended, it, it's pretty clear Bill Moose knew he was going to do this for a while. So, like, just do it. Like, why, why Why? do you have to wait till Tuesday to do something you could have done, honestly, on Sunday night? If you remember when Auburn fired Tony Barbie, they released a statement on it. Within five minutes of the game going final, Auburn lost in the SEC tournament. I think it was like a—I don't know—it was a night. I just remember it being a night game, and I don't think Tony had even met with the media yet. And it was like, boom! Auburn's already got the press release. We're going to make a coaching change. We wish Tony and his family all the best. Blah 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 blah. And that felt a little heartless, but at least it's done. You know, you don't make somebody sit there and think about it in a very public talk about it in a very public way for another 48 hours, Uh, but, but whatever it's done now. And if you, you I think Nebraska fans like Tim miles, but best I can tell from social media is that they were ready to, to do something different and they will be excited about Fred Hoiberg because why wouldn't you? And so um, I don't think I would have fired Tim miles, but if you go out and replace him with a big name that your fan base Can suddenly get excited about again and believe in, then um, then then you know, Nebraska basketball is is going to be interesting. You know, Fred is a massive name. He was incredibly successful at Iowa State, and I do think it's funny. And I don't know, maybe these two things are totally unconnected. um, But the last two jobs Fred has taken, it's like it's been situations where. For weeks in advance of him taking him, people were like, oh, yeah, he's going to be the next head coach of the Chicago Bulls. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> thing with Nebraska is done. Like, nothing leaks out earlier for whatever reason than than Fred Hoiberg's future plans. <laughs> like, we knew literally weeks before he took the Bulls job that he was going to be the next head coach of the Bulls. And now, you know, according to reports from last week, it was done deal to Nebraska and within hours of officially – um firing Tim Miles um, Evan Daniel's reported that they're in serious talks and expect to finalize a deal with Fred Hoiberg that's kind of funny that that these things like I they, I don't know with Fred we sometimes coaches make decisions and we we learn about them 24 hours in advance or or 30 minutes in advance with Fred it's like several weeks for whatever reason
1: yeah i think i think that will work it does seem like a good fit there were questions over um you know, would Fred want to return to the college game? His name was attached to the UCLA job to a certain extent, but I stopped believing that was going to be likely because if he would have been the front runner, uh, given the fact he wasn't employed, uh, like that would have been wrapped up at this point. That was that was my running theory as of uh, as of early March. But no matter, he looks set to return, and I think it winds up working. Um, just uh, I just want to clue listeners in. If you're if here are the list of notable jobs that will have changed over, just real quick. UCLA, obviously, we wait on that. Uh, Arkansas, I would say, is the second best job now in the market behind UCLA. It just happened today. Alabama, uh, Texas A&M, which uh, the working theory in the industry – Uh, Now, maybe Virginia Tech's run will affect this, but the working theory is that Buzz Williams is the primary target for Texas A&M. I mentioned that on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, We'll see if things uh, keep on, keep on with that. Um, Cal opened, by the way, recently, White King Jones. uh, That was reported that actually he was given uh, another year and then the players went to the athletic director to have a little chit-chat. So now he is out. Cal is a job in the Pac-12 that is open. Um, Temple closed because they already set up Aaron McKee to take over Fran Dunphy. UNLV is open. Uh, Nebraska's open. Vanderbilt's open. Uh, St. Joe's with Phil Martelli's open. And now BYU is open and and Washington state opened. I would say those are the biggest jobs. If you're trying to get a a handle and grasp on all of this, Um, there are going to be more that open in terms of like power conference, major conference jobs. Maybe one or two more. We'll wait and see on this, uh, see who UNLV can land, who who it can't. But um, I actually think we set a podcast record this season. Uh, I think it's just because the games were compelling. We just had a lot to get to, but uh, hadn't got to the coaching stuff. Plus, anyway, Parrish, this really is like it is like that first weekend of the tournament. And then this week, there's a lot of shuffling and interviews. And then into that Friday, Saturday, Final Four is when like really the most action happens. So it's actually going to be... Uh, relatively chaotic it's always a weird time of year because love the tournament but then you know guys are losing jobs and trying to keep track of who's going where it's um, it's one big mess
0: then of course uh, LSU is likely to open I think that's a reasonable way yeah. to put it so um, and, and then you, you still don't know like what this federal trial coming up next month could could bring to the surface and you know perhaps we can get some more um, some more changes there um, also, NBA could maybe pluck a college coach. That could create change, uh, set off a domino effect. But uh, busy times on the coaching carousel. But let's turn our attention to the games. We're going to break down all of the Sweet 16 games next. But first, check this out.
1: Hey everybody, it's Frank Stamfel from Fantasy Baseball Today. Don't worry, Adam Azer isn't going anywhere, and neither is FBT. The MLB season is delayed, but that just gives us more time to deep dive players, argue about rankings, and find this year's Cattell Marte. Regardless of what format you play in, Roto, Points, Keeper, Auction, Dynasty, we've got you covered. We're here for you five days a week, so make sure to download and subscribe to Fantasy Baseball Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm here with Trey Scott,
0: my co-host on the College Football Daily, a podcast from 24-7 Sports dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. Every
1: Monday through Friday, from here to eternity, we are adding depth and context to the biggest headlines in college football. But we're also diving deep into topics like the Iowa Hawkeyes secret sauce for developing NFL linemen and what the era of big money conference TV networks means for schools like Boise State. So if you share our point of view that college football has no offseason, subscribe to the College Football Daily now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: So what we'll do is just take this regional by regional, starting with the first game uh, that'll be played on Thursday, and that's going to be a Gonzaga, Florida State, a one seed against a four seed. It's at the Honda Center in Anaheim. It's on CBS, America's most watched network, network of stars, most awarded network. It's going to tip at 7:09 Eastern, and Gonzaga is minus seven and a half. Um, One of the things when I was talking about this game somewhere is that I do have Gonzaga winning the game. I think most people are going to have Gonzaga winning the game, but seven and a half does seem like a big number against a Florida State team that's 16 and two in its past 18 games, lone losses coming to Duke and North Carolina.
1: It does seem like a big number for sure. Um, These two teams met in the NCAA tournament last season. Florida State won it 75 to 60, uh, knocked off uh, Gonzaga. So. See if they can uh, continue that year over year. they got a, a lot of the same characters in both of these games. But for Gonzaga in particular, um, the big difference is, as Brandon Clark this time around, Brandon Clark did not play in this game uh, last season, so having him will be a big-time difference maker. Uh, the fact that he went for 36 points and five blocks, only Shaquille O'Neal and David Robinson have done that in the tournament game. No small thing. And uh, Corey Kispert played really well as well uh, in the Baylor game for Gonzaga. See if he can make a difference. Um, my GP, my pick uh, is Gonzaga uh, to win the game straight up. Uh, Covering-wise, uh, I, I think FSU has to be the play here. This region, by the way, um, if Gonzaga is, is to get through, uh, it play, first of all, it's, it's facing a Florida State team that is top 10, top 12 defensively in college basketball, and then it's got to play one of the two top defenses in Texas Tech or Michigan. So Gonzaga will have earned it uh, to Minneapolis if indeed it can break on through. Expect a pretty interesting game, competitive game. I'll be watching this on my computer as I'm watching the game in front of my face in Louisville, which we'll get to in just a minute. But um, I, I believe you're riding the Zags with me, just as a matter of uh, whether or not you're going to take uh, take the points like I did with Florida State.
0: Yeah, I would pick. Uh, I'd have Gonzaga winning the game, Florida State covering the the seven and a half. But the point you make is something I'd said on CBS Sports HQ, I think earlier today, which is. If you ask me which one seed has the toughest path to a Final Four, I think it is Gonzaga, and it doesn't mean I think Gonzaga is the weakest one seed. But when you've got to beat a 29 win team from the ACC that's 16 and two in its past 18 games, lone losses coming to one seeds that in this NCAA tournament, you got to beat that team to get to the Elite Eight, and then you're playing either the number one ranked. Uh, defense in the country, or the second-ranked defense in the country in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency, like you're going to have to be good. And that maybe this is just the byproduct of a chalky first two rounds. That basically now to get to the final four, you got to beat two really good teams. But I think Gonzaga's uh, next two, whether it's Florida State and then Texas Tech, or Florida State and then Michigan, I think that's the toughest two-team combo any one seed's going to have to deal with.
1: Uh yeah, I think that's that's probably the case and uh I think a key for this one for those watching at home or heck, if you're watching this and you're going to be in the arena, good for you. We're going to I think you're going to get some pretty awesome games there in Anaheim. Um Josh Perkins being able to handle the pressure from Florida State They throw Terrence Mann on him I don't know who they're going to throw on Perkins but uh his success might be a bit of a barometer for Gonzaga winning here because Perkins has been good but he was like he was terrible in the in the St. Mary's WCC title game if they get a performance of that like it could spell doom I think he's actually uh, like he's not their best player but really he might be the most important player in this game given the way that uh, Florida State plays defense
0: and so we're both taking Gonzaga to advance but uh ATS will take the plus seven and a half. So let's move to the other game on Thursday night in the West Regional, and that's gonna be uh Texas Tech in Michigan. It's also on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, Network of Stars, Most Awarded Network, 939 Eastern Tip inside the Honda Center in Anaheim. Um, Michigan is a two-point favorite over Texas Tech, and this is a game between, again, the teams that were ranked number one and number two in adjusted defensive efficiency. What do you got?
1: Give me the Red Raiders here. Um, Number one in defensive efficiency, uh, number two in two-point percentage defense. uh, Really good down low, really good on the perimeter. Uh, They have relatively uh, experienced players. Um, Jared Culver's been just awesome as of late, averaging... I looked it up today GP I think it's like 26 and change and eight rebounds over this past four games or or maybe it was 29 and a half it's he's been awesome um, Matt Mooney and Davide Moretti have been really solid those are the long distance threats for them um, the over under on this was low I can't I don't have it in front of me I don't remember but I' remember being relatively low like to the point where it' was just kind of teasing you I know one
0: six is the number I'm looking at
1: yeah that's that might uh, uh, you know in terms of over/under, that just seems a little lower than I was expecting. But I will, I will take Texas Tech. Looked very good in its first two games. Had no issue with Northern Kentucky, a mere annoyance there in the first round, and then completely uh, flipped over Buffalo, as we mentioned on the on the previous podcast. There, so uh, I'll take Texas Tech outright, straight up, which means that uh, they win and they move on to their second consecutive Elite Eight. And my final tag on that is. Um, talk about jobs and openings like who knows who's going to land at ucla but if chris beard makes a final four like i just don't see how he is not uh, a top three list for ucla to try and pluck away there but they got to get there first and i think they will be at least one game away give me uh, the red raiders over michigan
0: on chris beard um I, I think he's established himself as one of the great coaches in the sport I, I do think he's going to have other opportunities when his season is done um if you're alabama why don't you just put five million dollars on the just just buy him just buy him from Texas Tech, like what? What? Chris Chris Beard has won at Little Rock and Texas Tech. You can't do that unless you're awesome. Why, why wouldn't if you if you got that kind of money, you just say we want to have an awesome basketball program? This guy can give it to us. Here's 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 six years, twenty five million dollars. Come be our basketball coach.
1: Chris Beard has, has led a nomadic coaching existence. Um, now, he uh, there is a, a bit of a Texas connection in particular w- with uh, with the university he's at. So I, I potentially, am, why not Arkansas to say you were here once? <laughs> I, to my knowledge, Chris Beard doesn't have anything against Arkansas. He was just in Little Rock for a hot minute and then uh, took UNLV and then took uh, Texas Tech. So, yeah, I think there's you're right. There's not going to be any shortage. But um, it's just a matter of if, if that money will, will lure him away or not. Or if he's going to say, you know what, if I want the big money... Maybe I want to make sure my next jump, uh, all due respect to an Alabama um, and maybe even an Arkansas. But I I might want to go to a a bona fide for sure top 20 job. I don't know. But what I do know is he's already a candidate at those kind of places. And if you make a final four, then it's just it it only enhances and strengthens and brightens that light, you know, five tenfold.
0: So we're going to differ on this game. I've got Michigan winning it, but I will tell you, um, I, I don't feel this is one where I don't actually feel that confident about it. Um, Texas Tech was awesome in the round of 32, as you put it, um, just uh, destroyed Buffalo. Um, but and Michigan's only 10 and five in its past 15 games. Like that's not great. So they started 17 and 0, which makes the record 30 and six. Um, you know, like 30 and six looks amazing, because it is. But Especially after you lose pieces from a champion, from a team that played for the championship a year ago, but from mid-January on, they have been a slightly different basketball team than they were in their first 17 games. Again, 10 and five in the past 15. If they lose this one, it'll be 10 and six in the final 16 games of their season. But I'm still going to take them. I'm going to trust John Beeline. But that's a tremendous coaching matchup. Um, I really like. Uh, the, the, both of those guys. I think they're two of the very best, and it should be no surprise that they're meeting in a Sweet 16 because I think um, they're going to be in a lot of Sweet 16s, both of them, for as long as they keep coaching. All
1: right, GP, let's get to where I am going to. That's Louisville. Let's caddy corner. Caddy cornered in the bracket. The West up looking to the right in the South Regional. Uh, What game are viewers going to be watching first on Thursday night?
0: 729 Eastern uh, tip off it'll be uh, second seeded Tennessee against third seeded Purdue this is at the Yum Center in Louisville Tennessee minus one and a half yeah, the game's going to be on TBS you taking Vols or Boilermakers
1: this is to me set up as the best it's the game I think has the most likely chance of being awesome that's the way I put this one I'm going to take Tennessee which has been shaky, <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, got a got a nice push from Colgate, and got a real scare from Iowa, but it survives. It stays on, and and good for Tennessee for getting this far. And this is uh, you know setting up uh, one more win, even just one. I'm not even saying they got to get to the final four. I think just one more win, and this is the best season in program history. So an awesome special thing these guys have built there. I will take Tennessee. Um, to win this, they're getting one point. They're giving one point. Excuse me. Uh, I think that they'll cover in that regard. Obviously, with a line that's small. Um, but I, I think that, uh, I think this is going to be just an awesome game as long as Carson Edwards shows up to play. He's got more. You know, Purdue's not just a one-man team, but Carson Edwards has come on so strong as of late. Very impressive. I think that this is going to be also relatively high-scoring, which is why I think it's got a chance to be such an awesome game. Um, I just want to see if uh, Ryan Klein can can. Contribute uh, from deep, Jelly Eastern seems relatively healthy. If he can still be effective on defense, I'm looking forward to that. And just a small coaching note: uh, Purdue assistant Greg Gary, uh, whose son was the kid who got John ja Morant shoes in the video I took. By the way, uh, good week for the Gary family. Uh, Nash Gary gets John ja Morant shoes, and then Greg Gary has been uh, hired at Mercer, so he will have that job. Um, and he's going to the SoCon. Uh, so good on him. Uh, he'll obviously be with the staff for this game. He's going to be with Purdue for as long as its seasons last. But that's just a, a coaching note with the Boilermakers there. But give me Tennessee. I, I, you mean Purdue? Uh, no. Give me Tennessee to win.
0: Oh, okay. I thought, okay. Um, all right. Well, I've got Tennessee as well. I've got Tennessee going to the Final Four. So I'm obviously not going to pick them to lose in the Sweet 16. And I know that they got pushed by a lesser Big Ten team in the round of 32. But there's such a long list of teams that go to Final Fours or even win national championships that in the opening two rounds of the NCAA tournament, they got pushed, had to go to overtime, um, had to rally to come back, and you start to go, ooh, well, they're vulnerable. Maybe they're not as good as I thought. And then they just march right into the Final Four, and that ends up being um, as much as they got tested um, in – you know, in, on their way to the Final Four. And I think that might end up being the case with Tennessee, although, uh, obviously, if Tennessee gets to the Elite Eight, it's probably going to have to be dealing with a Virginia team that, you know, is, is just about blowout proof, I think. So, unless they're playing UMBC, of course. So, uh, I'll, I'll take Tennessee. How about this? I think Tennessee wins the game relatively comfortably and ends up having an easier time with a good Purdue team than they had with a just okay Iowa team.
1: It's uh, it's not the most outrageous take. Uh, selfishly, I'm hoping to get at least one good game here on Thursday night in Louisville, and I think this one has a much better chance of being a good game than the other one, but but uh, but we'll see. Obviously, the second one. So we agree on Tennessee winning. We just disagree maybe on the style, the path it takes to get there, and then Virginia, Oregon. What are your thoughts on that, GP?
0: So it's going to tip at eight at nine fifty nine Eastern on Thursday night. Uh, it'll be on TBS. It is. Uh, the top-seeded Virginia Cavaliers, the 12-seeded Oregon Ducks. And if you thought that total in Texas Tech-Michigan was low, 126, this one's 119. And Virginia's laying eight and a half points. I just think a game that's going to be played between two defensive teams that are this good, I, I think Virginia wins the game. But eight and a half points at Virginia's tempo against a great defensive team just seems like too big of a number to me.
1: Uh, listen, uh, we're not betting the games, but we talk about this on CBS Sports HQ. We make the picks on the site. Um, this is like a game where even if I did, like I wouldn't die with that. this is weird. You get you're giving that many points and you say it's 119 when I did CBS Sports HQ, it was 118. like that yesterday on Monday when I did. That's just that is a crazy low number, but uh Virginia' is the slowest team. Possessions per game in college basketball in Oregon uh, is in the bottom 10% there, so that's why uh, that's why we have a game that's that's slow and low. Uh, obviously, I like Virginia to win that. If you've been listening to the podcast and paying it to any sort of attention, I'm weighing on Virginia, not just getting to Minneapolis, but uh, having some success thereafter. Um, Oregon had favorable matchups. I... I underestimated the Ducks in terms of what it was getting with Wisconsin. And then even whether it would have faced K-State or Irvine, um, it's played well. But uh, I believe that those those opponents were set up well for them. Uh, This one, a much different uh, scenario overall. And how about this? After Virginia gets a real legitimate scare from Gardner-Webb and then just gets, you know, Oklahoma lingering around. I'm going to say Virginia wins this one with uh, relatively little drama, but, you know, not a huge margin. So one of those games where it just, you know, it ends and Virginia's, you look up, Virginia's won 65-58 and you're like, yeah, but like, was that entertaining at all in the final 10 minutes? Did you honestly think that Oregon was going to be able to come back? Uh, that's how I see it playing out. So if if I'm going to say, you know what, heck, that's 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 my final score, GP. So 65, 58, which means that's the over, <laughs> but uh, but Oregon covers.
0: Yeah, I've got Virginia winning the game, but Oregon covering. Keep in mind, Oregon is 10 and 0 in its past 10 games, 10 game winning streak, and in eight of those 10 games, Oregon has held its opponent to 54 or fewer points. So they've been guarding like crazy. Um, I, I saw somebody tweet that since some date, I don't know if it was February 18th or February 23rd, but from some date in February, nobody has been better in terms of, um, from a defensive efficiency rating than, than the Oregon Ducks. And so even though they're only 15th in defensive efficiency on the season, they're much better than that lately. And I'll just trust that they can hang around. I don't think they'll seriously threat for, threaten Virginia, but I do think they can hang around well enough to to cover that 8.5. So we both have Virginia advancing in the bracket, but Oregon um, covering – the 8.5 points. Let's go to Friday, and we're going to start in the East Regional because that's where the earliest game tips off. It's 7.09 Eastern. It's on CBS. It's America's most watched network, network of stars, most awarded network. It's LSU as the three seed against Michigan State State as the two seed. Michigan State a six-point favorite. This is happening in Washington, D.C.
1: Going down in D.C., hmm get a get a funky feeling on this game parish. Um LSU has I would say with no Langford on the floor, I would say LSU has as much talent if not more than Michigan State. Uh <laughs> Michigan State slight advantage in the coaching department. No offense to Tony Benford, uh Tom Izzo has uh long established his acumen for for doing this thing and LSU does not have its head coach. So, um Man, I can't remember what I sent to our editors. I know I have Michigan State winning. I think I took Sparty to cover, and you know what? It doesn't even matter. On the podcast, I'm going to take him to cover here as well. Uh, perhaps I come to regret it. Um, whenever we do our first-round picks when we do our mega uh, NCAA Tournament Spectacular podcast, I, I tend to mention the one or two games where I'm convinced that no matter what I pick, I'm going to be wrong. I kind of get that feeling with the, with this one, GP, Like, kind of thinking that like no one's going to give LSU a chance. We're going to look up. And a Will waitlist team is going to be playing to get to the Final Four, and what a heck of a story that would be!
0: It'd be an incredible story, um, and I, I will say that we sort of mock—at least I did—the idea of you know LSU now being run by you know Tony Benford, who, let's just be honest, didn't have a a great run at North Texas, and I will say he's already done more with this team than I thought he would do with this team. Uh, in the round of 32 against Maryland, like maybe you just couldn't tell in the round of 64 no matter who was coaching them, but in the round of 32 against Maryland, um, I, I, I didn't think they looked like a team playing without their head coach. And obviously, you know, Michigan State's a different challenge altogether, and I am going to take Michigan State to win the game and Michigan State to cover, but I won't be shocked if LSU with Tremont Waters and, and Nas Reed go and win this thing because, like you said, I do. I think you could reasonably argue that LSU has the more talented roster even if LSU has an interim coach and the other team has Tom Mizzle.
1: I agree. Now, you want to get to the big dog game here?
0: Um, that's going to be tipping off around 9.39 Eastern. In Washington, D.C., it's the other game in the East Regional. It is Virginia Tech against Duke. That's the one seed against the four seed. These are uh, both ACC teams. They played earlier this season. Zion wasn't uh, in the lineup for Duke. Uh, Justin Robinson was not in the lineup for Virginia Tech. Duke is a a 7.5-point favorite in this one. Will you dare pick against Mike Krzyzewski's Blue Devils?
1: Straight up, I will not. But I have thought about it often. I've dreamt about it, but I'm not going to go there. Does it, Paris? Do you feel like uh, people are more in on Virginia Tech because of the UCF Duke game and Duke kind of getting the close shave win, or maybe that's you know the one close game they'll face until or when and if they make the Final Four?
0: I think we're going to look back on Duke's run to the Final Four and go, man. Remember when they almost got caught got caught by UCF, but then they they handled their next two games pretty easily. I think that's what's going to happen. I think Duke wins its next two games by anywhere from 7 to 15 points, if not, if not complete blowouts. And the UCF game will just be the one where they almost got caught, but it would not be an indicator of things to come. And I, I might be the only person on the planet who believes this, but I came away impressed by Duke by the way it handled the UCF situation as opposed to worried about Duke. And the reason is because when you're down four points, um, to an underdog, and you're the favorite to win the national championship, There's that's real game pressure. It ain't like you get to run it back tomorrow or even come back next year and try again. This is a one-shot deal. These dudes are gone after this year. And three different players made massive plays in the final minutes. First, Cam Reddish knocks down that big three to cut the four-point lead to one. Then Zion takes it right at Taco Fall, gets the hoop and the foul. Then R.J. Barrett gets the offensive rebound on the missed free throw, puts it back in. The idea that all three of those guys were able to, in that moment, stay composed, a freshman-heavy team, stay composed, rally, make big plays, to me, that was more encouraging than the fact that they found themselves in that situation was discouraging. Although, I can recognize that, you know, if Aubrey Dawkins... Put back just like rolls one way instead of another. Um, we're all talking about UCF Virginia Tech as opposed to Duke Virginia Tech. But I-, I thought Duke did some incredible things under pressure that might serve them well going forward.
1: Yeah, I'm not with you on we're going to see Duke in the Final Four. One, because I don't think Duke's making the Final Four, but two, we're going to look back and say that was the only close game. I think Virginia Tech will play this game close. I would take Virginia Tech to cover. I will take Duke to win narrowly. I don't think that Virginia Tech will play them quite as much to a close shave the way that UCF did, but I expect this to be a riveting game, a good game in part because I think that Virginia Tech will play well uh, from the perimeter. It will shoot well. Duke will be just okay, and because of that, Virginia Virginia Tech is always going to be within striking distance, potentially could even have the lead with less than four minutes to go. I will trust Duke to just barely get out again. So we agree. Blue Devils onto the Elite Eight, but we disagree. I have VT covering. Sounds like you've got the Blue Devils.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take Duke to to win the game and Duke to cover the game. Um, I think they win this by, I don't know, somewhere around 10 points or so. Uh, Let's go to the Midwest region. The first game is going to tip off at 729 Eastern. It's going to be on TBS. It's in Kansas City, Missouri. It's North Carolina as a one seed playing Auburn as a five seed. And I I think if you told me I could only watch one game in the Sweet 16, I'd probably want to watch the Zion game, long as I'm being honest. But in terms of entertainment value, like that game is going to be fun. I think North Carolina-Auburn is going to be a lot of fun. Two top ten offenses. Um, incredible guards on both sides, or at least really good guards on both sides. Um, UNC is a five-point favorite over Auburn. What do you got there?
1: I okay, so I'm I'm taking North Carolina, and of course now we can we can acknowledge that we have all four one seeds moving on to the elite eight, which is not unprecedented, but also isn't as common as you might think. Um, If this was UNC-Kansas, I bet that the Kentucky-Houston game would have gotten first billing. But you throw in Auburn there, and Carolina uh, versus Auburn is the first tip there in KC. I'll take Carolina to win, and I'm going to take it to cover, and here's why. You're right, this could be a a lot of fun, but will it it be such a fast-paced game that an Auburn team that thrives on two things, two things, turning you over and shooting and making a lot of threes, if it gets away from them, You tell me UNC wins this, like, 94-77, to I would buy it. Um, Hope we don't get that. Would love to have, frankly, as many entertaining, awesome games as possible because that makes just for a a more enjoyable NCAA tournament. Like, give me all these with uh, one possession outcomes for sure. But I think there is a distinct chance that could happen with Auburn. Auburn's played well as of late, but it lacked... Even two notable resume wins up until mid to late February. Now it's turned it on. Uh, credit to Bruce Pearl for this team clicking and figuring something out. Um, he uh, he will I'm sure will be entertaining as ever to watch on the sidelines there. But um, but I will take UNC to win and probably pull away here. Um, I, it's weird because I'm looking at these one I'm looking at these one seed matchups in the Sweet 16 GP. And man, like, I, I hate saying that, but I feel like Duke is the most vulnerable to lose. And I guess Virginia's the least vulnerable, but I don't think, I don't think UNC is that
0: vulnerable uh, and that far behind Virginia. Well, to your point about Auburn taking a lot of threes and making a lot of threes, to put some numbers on it, um, 50, half of Auburn's field goal attempts are three pointers. Like, half. If they, you know, if they take, well, let's just go see what they did in their last game. They played Kansas. I
1: feel like I should play the Jeopardy music right now.
0: Doom doom doom. So they took sixty-one shots in the game and thirty of mm-hmm. them were three pointers. All right. So that like half their shots are gonna come from beyond the arc. And they make thirty eight point two percent of those three point attempts. So I mean, if they're gonna knock you know, if they if they're gonna knock down forty percent of thirty three point attempts, like that's a That's tough for almost anybody. I mean, that is how you can get upset by an inferior team, is if that inferior team is just going to put up 33-pointers and make a good percentage of them. And Auburn doesn't have to be much different than it normally is to really hurt you from that three-point line. That's a scary thing to me if I'm Roy Williams is that I – you know, it's one thing if you just know we can line up and just beat these guys. But if these guys are going to take 33s and make – you know 13 of them 14 of them that's you i i don't care how i don't care who you are that you're going to find yourself in a tough situation
1: Yep, and the if you're an Auburn fan looking for some hope, uh, hope that Kobe White so just turns in turns in a vintage freshman game and not in a good way. Um, he can be prone to some turnovers, uh, can be prone to some uh some great shots, but some less than desirable shots. Uh, so you got to hope for that, and then you got to hope Nasir Little, who has averaged nineteen and a half points through the first two tournament games and looked fantastic, um, that he goes back to looking like December Nasir Little. So root for the freshman. To uh to really revert, if you're an Auburn fan and you're going to have a shot. If they don't, then I just I'm I'm finding it hard to believe how Auburn will pull this off.
0: Well, North Carolina has like a lot of the things you need to to be a national champion. Um, High level coach Roy Williams is a Hall of Famer already. Uh, they they've got good roster balance. You know they've got seniors that matter, um, but also one and done freshmen. And perhaps people weren't talking about Kobe White that way in November, but he has turned himself into a one-and-done freshman first-round pick if he wants to be that. And now they're starting to get some consistent stuff from Nasir Little, who coming into the season was a consensus top five pick. So you got multiple NBA players, maybe three NBA players, maybe more. But you got multiple NBA players, good roster balance, and a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, that's what a national championship team looks like, right?
1: Yeah. And they, uh, no one is sleeping on UNC. I think that, uh, that talking point got old about a month ago. But, um, I think we're about at the point where we can start discussing, like, how good this team is versus some of Roy's best. We're almost there. Got to win some more games. Got to get to a final four. But, um,. It's a fun team to watch. They really like to move, uh, get up and down as well as almost any team he's ever had. And they're enjoyable almost no matter the opponent they play. And it's hard to to kind of uh, reconcile the fact that this team was the same team that that gave Roy Williams its worst loss on its home floor in Chapel Hill ever when it got dropped by Louisville in a huge way earlier this season. But they've, they've course corrected, and we both think they're moving on.
0: Uh, We both got North Carolina moving on. I've got North Carolina covering the five points. And then the late game at the Sprint Center in Kansas City, it's going to tip off at 9.59 Eastern. It's on TBS. It is the second-seeded Kentucky Wildcats, third-seeded Houston Cougars. And as of this moment, we still don't know if P.J. Washington is going to play. John Calipari said on Monday that the plan was to have the hard cast removed from the foot today. Um, I'm honestly unsure if that happened as of – right now as we're recording. But um, I guess I'd just bottom line it this way. How often have people been in a hard cast on Tuesday and played a game on a Friday? <laughs> it's it just, not it impossible, just, it's, I guess. It's not. It's not I, I bet it's rare. Yeah.
1: I, I agree. I'm not expecting him to play. Maybe he does. Maybe that extra day and that's the last tip of the night, last tip of the Sweet 16, maybe those precious extra hours uh, wind up making a difference Um they, I think they're going to need him. I'm taking Houston, Parrish. I got him winning straight up. Yep, that's right. Straight up for Houston. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I had in my... I mean, this is the pick I had when we had our bracket pick extravaganza show. So uh, I will take Kelvin Sampson to move along here. Like Houston's attacking guards. Um, I think that will make a significant difference in this game. And I'm making this pick under the assumption P.J. Washington will not play in this game. Um, if he is available... Well, maybe it changes to something, I guess. But I had I had Houston over Wofford, uh, thinking Wofford would get through uh, to the Sweet 16. Eh, nope, didn't make that one. Not quite, just a little bit shy. So, give me Houston to move along. And in doing so, as we review our picks here, just notice that I do not have all ones and twos. And as said on the previous podcast, if we did get all ones and twos, that will be a first in modern NCAA tournament history.
0: I think Kentucky can win the game without P.J. Washington. But... I'm obviously not confident in that, and I do think they're probably going to be without P.J. Washington, or they're going to be with a very limited P.J. Washington. Keep in mind, even if he gets the cast off today and he's ready to play, he's cleared to play on Friday, he hasn't run in two weeks. He hasn't been on a basketball court in two weeks. Like, what kind of game shape could he possibly be in? I mean, it's not like he just fell apart, like he slept for three months, but you're in a hard cast on Tuesday. You haven't moved in two weeks, run in two weeks, and now you're going to go step into a Sweet 16 game against a Houston team that is damn near impossible to score on. I mean, the percentages on some of their stuff is is outlandish. They got, um, you know, they hold opponents to 27.8% three-point shooting. That ranks number one in the country. And inside the arc, they hold opponents to 42.7%. That ranks fifth in the country. They're top five in defensive two-point and three-point field goal percentage. I mean, the, like you, you can't <laughs> score on them. The, everything is difficult against Houston. And as I'm talking through this, I don't know why I'm trying to take a sh- shorthanded Kentucky team to, <laughs> to beat them. <laughs> but but I, I've got to stick. Here's what happens. I stick with my bracket. Because my bracket has held up pretty well so far. I got 14 of the Sweet 16 teams. Um, so I'm just going to stick with the bracket. But ugh, Houston plus three would be hard to pass on, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I will not pass on it. So straight up versus spread. Cougars, H-Town. H-Town takeover. Here we go.
0: Um, one thing I did notice, I wrote a column today just sort of about the chalkiness of this Sweet 16 and in the, the largest point I wanted to make is something that I said on the podcast, I believe, which is that the teams that are the one seeds and the two seeds, so Duke, Carolina, Virginia, Gonzaga, Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State, um, it felt like to me at some point in the season – The best eight or nine teams in the country, and they were on that list, sort of separated themselves from the rest of the country. And so I went back to February 1st and just looked at the top 25 and one on February 1st. And sure enough, I had all the one seeds and the two seeds in the top nine of the top 25 and one. The only thing that kept them from being in the top top eight was I had Nevada at eight and I think Michigan at nine at, at that point. But one of those schools was like nine instead of eight. But still, they were in the top nine on February 1st. And so they established themselves in late January, early February as the best teams in the country, and then they maintained that level of success through Selection Sunday. That's how they got a one seed or a two seed. And so then I was like, okay, well, I wonder, so this held up pretty good based on the February 1st top 25-1. and one. I wonder how it held up since last June, when I had the top 25-1 and one five months before the start of the season. And you help me with this, so like I'm not trying to take credit for anything because really I don't think it, it, it's evidence of anything other than the teams that were supposed to be good actually have been good. But this did surprise me. Thirteen of the Sweet 16 teams were in the top 21 of the top 25 in one last June.
1: Can I try and guess the three that weren't? I have not read your column yet.
0: Okay, yeah, guess trivia time. Boom, definitely Houston. Definitely Houston.
1: Um, you know what? You sold on Texas Tech, so they got to be one. Definitely Texas Tech. Uh, 13 out of 16. That's really well done. Um, you know what? And we just talked about it on the last podcast. It's got to be Purdue, right?
0: It's Purdue. Boom. It is Houston, Texas Tech, Purdue. And what do they all have in common? They were good teams you hate last that lost a bunch of stuff. Purdue lost four starters. Um, Texas Tech, I think, lost five of their top six. Um, um, Houston lost its best player. And yet they all were awesome again, uh, exceeding expectations. And it's why, frankly, if you were putting together National Coach of the Year list right now, those three guys would probably be your leaders, Matt Painter, Chris Beard, and Kelvin Sampson in some order. And so, yeah, the, the other thirteen schools that are in the Sweet Sixteen were in the top twenty-one of the top twenty-five, and one five months before this season even got started. The only three exceptions were Purdue, Texas Tech, and Houston. So, what what that means isn't that like I'm I'm amazing. Although, if you want to put that in the comments over at, uh, <laughs> iTunes, I'm, you you you're, you're, feel free. I, I won't delete it or report a concern about it. Um, it, it just means that. A, next time somebody tries to tell you preseason rankings are meaningless, slap them in their face because they're not. They're actually a pretty good indicator, usually, of what is to come. The teams that are supposed to be good usually are. And in this season, um, it's almost without exception. The teams that were supposed to be great this season have mostly been great this season. In fact, the one seeds I all had in the top eight. um, And 13 of the Sweet 16 I had in the top top 21. So I appreciate... Um, the teams for holding up their end of the bargain because otherwise it'd make the preseason rankings look silly. And I don't want that. I don't need that in my life.
1: Don't need it. We're also, uh, as we wrap up here, GP, we are, we are encroaching upon um, a way too early top 25 and one timelines here. So just uh, it's time to start setting up here. Cause that's,
0: I already started working on it. Usually I'm so I'm such a big procrastinator that, I really don't even start working on it until the Sunday of the Final Four. And then it's done by Monday night. But it stresses me out every year. And so what I decided a couple of weeks ago is just to try to start... Pull, pull, pull a team. Pull two teams a day. Just when you think about it. And I've basically got like 15 teams already done. Um, And I, I don't want to ruin it. But do you realize that you're going to Could return its entire roster. Michigan
1: State. No, Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Oh, um, I do
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that. Like that's a that's a two seed in the NCAA tournament that could go to a Final Four, and and then return everybody because they have no, like Charles Matthews is listed as a senior, but he he has a year of eligibility left, so they have no players exhausting their 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 eligibility. And no obvious first-round draft picks that just have to go. Now, Charles Matthews might go just because he just might go. But Michigan, like, as I'm going through these things, you start looking at it, Michigan could return everybody from a very good team, which um, would make them at least a candidate to be number one in the country.
1: All right, well, uh, we'll have a podcast addressing all that once the season's over, but uh, I believe this pod is over. Hey, shouts to the listeners. Thank you for subscribing and rating, and hey, you get podcasts on back-to-back days. Now, as GP mentioned, he goes back to NYC on Wednesday. I have not finished packing, and I have to leave my house at like 6.30, 6.15 a.m., uh, so as soon as I upload this podcast, i got to go do that and try and get some rest here. So uh, we'll podcast again. Do we want to figure this out right here for our listeners? I figure... It probably makes sense to have the Sweet 16 wrapped. So if we want to do it, say, early Saturday, or hey, if you wanted to say have the Thursday games play out and do our last and third one of the week before the Friday games, I'm good either way. This is your call, my man.
0: I think probably Friday night, depending on how late that night will be, because you will not have games on Friday night, will you?
1: I will not have games, and I don't know where I will be. I mean, I know what city I'll be in. I just don't know where I'll be
0: be out drinking with your friends huh
1: <laughs> did not say that I'm not, I honestly don't think that I will even be drinking I do think that I will be out with people uh we will have, we will be watching the game somewhere and that second game Paris that Houston Kentucky game could easily end at like twelve twenty in the morning so I mean we could do a late night podcast I'm not opposed to it if you want to if you want to get it done because you won't even get out of studio until late anyway so maybe we even try and pull that off
0: maybe late Friday if not late Friday early Saturday so, just subscribe. That way, it'll come right into your phone. You won't have to keep checking or tweeting us and asking where it's at. It'll come right into your phone. You'll have it as soon as possible. You can do that via Apple Podcast. Shouts to Devin Doughty. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, the legend. And shouts to Larnell. We're going to talk to you again after the Sweet 16 is complete. Till then, take care.